Hello, Dunker Punks. I am excited to introduce our final episode of the season. If I sound a little off, please excuse me. I am getting over a cold. But we have been looking at this idea of catharsis in our episodes this season. A release of strong or repressed emotions. At the time of this recording, it's the holiday season, but we are in the midst of so much. We need this catharsis. I know for me specifically, there has been a lot of grieving I have yet to do this year, losing a lot of people close to me for a number of reasons. But in the holiday season, we know that that grief and that sorrow grows as we're missing those close to us this season and we want to hold this these emotions and feelings close as we listen to this episode as we move along through the holiday season and even into the next seasons of dunker punks We are all seeking this catharsis and this peace and this comfort of our emotions being set free and being able to feel lighter. And so I hope that this episode, the closing of the season, will give us at least some of that during this holiday season and beyond. I am so glad to introduce this episode as it's close to my heart with Pastor Josiah Ludwig and Melanie Risk, mentors of mine, um, discussing the holy chaos found at Hayward Street Church in Asheville, North Carolina. While listening, keep in mind this idea of catharsis. Hey, Dunker Punks, Josiah Ludwig here with another podcast around social justice. And as I was thinking about this season and the theme of catharsis, something came to mind that was a recent experience for me. I was down in the Asheville area of North Carolina, visiting with the older adults of our denomination at National Older Adult Conference. And a good friend of mine actually works at a pretty incredible place that some of those NOAC attendees actually were able to go visit. And I took that opportunity to visit myself. The Haywood Street Congregation is something that is just amazing, and you'll hear more about it as Melanie Risk and I talk about it. It's a ministry of the United Methodist Church, but it's unlike any church you've ever been to. Melanie is a young adult who grew up in the Church of the Brethren, went off to Boston University to get her MDiv, found herself in Harrisburg at First Church of the Brethren, for about a year before relocating to the Asheville area. I hope that you'll enjoy our conversation as we explore what it looks like to provide catharsis to the least and the last as far as what our society deems folks and to provide value and dignity and welcome amidst all of the holy chaos that is going on at Haywood Street. So today we have the pleasure of hanging out with Melanie Risk from the Haywood Street Congregation in Asheville, North Carolina. Melanie, thanks for hanging out today. Hi, thanks for having me. So 
basically, I, I'd like you to tell everybody a little bit about your own journey and how you arrived at Haywood Street. And then we'll talk a little bit about Hayward, Haywood Street itself in a little bit too. Yeah. So I grew up in the Church of the Brethren. My dad was a pastor for as long as I can really remember. Started off in Ohio in like three different churches there. And I that's where I grew up was in Ohio. And that the experience of growing up in the Church of the Brethren like quickly became a huge part of my identity. Just the the theology and the yeah, like all the the themes around simplicity and peace uh, and uh, reconciliation, all of that really struck a chord with me as a young person. So when I and went to school, ended up moving to Massachusetts and I went to grad school for theology and did my Master of Divinity at Boston University, kind of followed in that that's a similar vein and did conflict transformation. So I was I did the uh, global and community engagement track and did got my certificate in religion and conflict transformation, which is pretty funny if you knew me as a child, because I was a very conflict avoidant previously. So the fact that I moved toward conflict is just, just funny to think about now. But I, one of the things that I learned a lot about and really transformed and grew my understanding of just suffering throughout the world, suffering and conflicts, interpersonal uh, conflicts was experience that I had in the West Bank and Palestine. I went there, studied abroad over there for a few months and went back four other times or three other times. And that was, I knew from being over there and being in that environment and everything that it was that the, just like what people have, what people go through throughout their lives that are that that are that's painful is just something that I wanted that I felt a a call to be moving toward. So when I got out of grad school in 2018, ended up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and fell into this interim associate pastor position first for the first time ever, and that was one of the largest <laughs> growing experiences I've ever experienced, which could probably be a whole different story, but um, the experience of being in Allison Hill, Harrisburg, and that urban ministry environment was, oh, it was transformative. Um, I I knew I wanted to do something like that. When I got married a year later and we, my husband and I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where I am now, I looked for churches. I looked for something like First Church down here, and I couldn't find it right away. Ended up being a, I was a case manager for homeless veterans at a place called Homeward Bound here in Asheville. Was here for a couple, was there for a couple of years, but before the pandemic, I had found a church, Haywood Street, and I started coming on, on Sundays and I will never forget my first Sunday at Haywood Street. Uh, I, Jimmy and I, my husband, walked in the doors, and um, there at the front of the sanctuary is this huge mural. Uh, you can't—I mean, it's just fascinating when you when you look at it, and it's like 
there's so many there's faces and there's so much detail and before I knew anything about it I was just captivated by it and I mean it brings tears to your eyes just looking at it and that first Sunday I remember walking in seeing that and then like Jimmy and I were trying to find a, a seat in the pews and I'm I, I turn to the left and there's a man laying in a sleeping bag in the back on the floor and so we're you know walking around him and trying to like walk in to go into one of the pews and turned into one and then there's somebody laying there on a blanket and a pillow uh just curled up in the back pew uh this is all like well service is just getting ready to start so jimmy and i like we find a seat and there's some haywood street fills <laughs> all of your senses and yeah all of them like i you smell the smells that you when you're when you're sitting there um it's just it's what i my experience was that it was like everything about it was just sacred it's very human smells and um just like the raw side of humanity that can be really hard and that people want to look away from but where in my my view and my faith that's where jesus is present and that's where i i felt Jesus's presence probably the strongest so I wanted to I knew that I wanted to be there and for like two years I just kept looking for openings and ended up falling into a the position here lead storyteller which is yeah that's where I, yeah, am I remember now. you remember you telling me about this church way before you worked there as like this I think this is going to be my place you know and you described it and I was like, really? That's okay. Yeah. All right. That sounds wild. And then you just, uh, you know, we would talk every so often and, and it just remained the thing, you know? Yeah. And it really did feel to me from a distance that like God was kind of drawing you to that place in, in more than just a, you're supposed to be a part of this community uh, mm -hmm. as an attendee. And so that is, it's, it's a really amazing thing for me to see how that door opened and mm -hmm. then um, now you find yourself in this position and you already said it, it's called uh, a lead storyteller so say a little bit about what what does that mean in in yeah. practice yeah I, I do not let me just say what i don't do first i do not gather children up and tell stories or homeless people i don't do that either those are usually two things that people if they know anything about Haywood street or if they don't know anything they're like oh like what time do you have story time <laughs> not, what I do. not what I do. Um, okay. I am, it is, I, I do communications. So I do the newsletter. I do social media. I do the website. My favorite part though, is building relationships with people, being out on campus, walking out, sitting out on the, the brick wall in front of the sanctuary and talking to, to people and getting to know them interacting, engaging, sitting down at lunch at the welcome table and being able to, to offer to help them uh, share their stories, their experiences that they've had. Because um, I guess one thing that's huge that I haven't really mentioned, if you don't know anything about Haywood Street, is that it is, it's a, a ministry that is geared toward, aimed toward including the most excluded in, in our society. So homeless, mental illness, people with mental illness, substance use disorder, everybody who has had an experience of, of being marginalized or have, have the overwhelming experience of people turning away and not wanting to look at them. 
they're invited to Haywood Street and they're invited just as they are and they're welcome and loved just as they are. So that's, that's like the, yeah, that's the, what, that's what we're about. Everything we're about is just building relationships with people who other people might not find worth in building relationships with. Yeah. And so you, you value them and they're, they're not just included. When I was there, the, the pastor said something really cool. He was like, you know, I, I don't want you to mishear me. You're not, all of you here are not just welcome. You're, you're necessary here. Mm-hmm. And I just find that incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And what you're saying is like you, your position in, in a way is like, they're so valued that everybody that's a part of it is so welcome, so valued that their story deserves to be told. And for someone who, like you're describing, like society largely just walks past, like, mm-hmm. you know, the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest is just walking by, yeah. not even making eye contact, right? And here is a place where you're necessary to the point where I want to sit down and hear your story and let other people know about you because it's it's a valuable story to tell you know i just think that's really amazing yeah yeah and we we recognize one of the things that i really love about haywood street and what pastor brian shares is he he's always remembering and acknowledging our interconnectedness with one another like i am we're we're all we're all more alike than we are different and we all need each other so my 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 needs are are able to be fulfilled by being in relationship with with people who yeah who have been overlooked and their needs are able to be fulfilled by being seen and dignified and affirmed of their sacred worth just like they offer as well yeah one of the things that really stuck out to me when I visited is like part of your tagline is uh, holy chaos. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned how like your first time visiting even it's like, it's not well packaged. There's not like a amazing, you know, barista at the door, you know, it's not, it's, it's a little messy, you know, yeah. and um, but it's the kingdom and it's holy and it's, yeah, it's everything. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that idea of holy chaos? Yeah, yeah. Man, I don't know where to start. There's a lot of stories that come to mind that are perfect examples of of holy chaos that are sad or hard, but also really funny too. Yeah, there's just, at Hay- Haywood Street, what I appreciate and also what is challenging is that you, when you're here, there's no masks that people come in you know people show up as they are and with everything with with their joy with their sorrow with their anger um they show up high they show up um drunk they they show up just how they are and there's a uh, yeah there's a a holiness to that you know because i i think jesus is close to 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 people who are suffering and people who are struggling and we can see it and i i mean i see it every day here at haywood street i see it just this morning i had one of my friends that i've been getting to know he just came up and he's unhoused and he was just sitting outside my office and he needed help with his his feet or um 
have a lot of sores on him right now. Um, his shoes are just not, they're just falling apart. And he, he's just talking. I don't even really know about what, but he's just talking to me and, uh, I'm, he's asking for stuff. So I'm giving him like band-aids and what, like whatever I can find in my, my office, like Neosporin packets from the first aid kit. And I'm just like, we're just sitting there and he, uh, he's just washing his feet as we're just talking. Um, and he's, it's little things like that, that are more sacred and more holy than any other just pretty unimportant conversation. Just the fact that, yeah, just being who he is and coming as he is without any, without feeling the need to, to hide or anything. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. In the the service that I was at, I don't I imagine this happens every time based on our conversation, but you know, folks that just came in that they might have been known or not were asked mm -hmm. ahead of time, like, do you have gifts that you'd like to share? And so somebody like gave a poem, somebody sang, mm -hmm. else sang, and they were at different levels of like goodness or whatever. <laughs> but it was it was just beautiful. You know, it wasn't yeah. planned out a month in advance so that it would fit along with like, you know, the teaching series yeah. we're doing. And then, and so that's like relatively chaotic. Right. It, but it's oh, yeah. so holy. Right. And then at the same time, then like the quote unquote sermon, like, yeah, yeah it was preached. There was probably 10 minutes of prepared remarks, but the first 10 minutes was, okay, we just read this scripture. What do you guys think? And it's like a whole conversation and people at different levels of mental acuity. And I think one of the guys probably was autistic, spoke for like 10 minutes straight and like, it just, but it was all valued and beautiful. And then the guy from, you know, I forget his name right now, but like with the theology degree spoke at the end. Right. Um, yeah. But it's all part of this. Yeah. Holy soup of stuff that is just yeah. so beautiful and then the service ends by seeing everyday people by sliding the family stone and it's just like this yeah. place is amazing <laughs> yeah 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 the there's one thing that i have had to unlearn from years of being churched is that i will never be able to really just plan out what could happen or there's so many things that are that just you can't you can't even think up that could happen during a service and you either really stress out over it and like just become like a ball of knots and you're <laughs> or you just let it go and and just embrace it and it's in the embracing that I can sit back when you know when one of our, one of the congregants goes up in the middle of the pastor trying to give, like do communion. And she just takes a piece of bread out of the basket and just starts eating it before communion officially begins. Or when one of them comes up and asks to be baptized, like in the middle of the service by somebody who's not the pastor, just mm -hmm. random. You can't really think things like that up, but they're, they end up being like the most like just yeah i keep saying sacred but that that's really what comes to mind is just these moments are just precious and yeah very much chaotic very chaotic i mean and sometimes it's hard chaos i 
too like holy chaos isn't always isn't always precious <laughs> right. sometimes it's just really it's challenging and trying to figure out how to navigate it is is really hard but i i know that the staff that i'm on whatever decision that we make is or that that staff make that even like the founding pastor and the executive director whoever else if if they have to make a particular decision i know that it's going to be a decision that is going to be thought out and it, it's always going to be through the lens of how will this affect the relationship that we have with people at haywood street so that that helps that helps with when the chaos gets to be a little bit too much putting that into perspective where yeah what's most important what's most important is it our comfort is it the nice seamless worship service or is it the relationship and recognizing that these that people come here because they don't have another place where they can just share their gifts and many of them have many folks who come here are like are so talented it blows my mind and then and some of them uh some people don't have a place to be able to to pray or to share something that like really was profound for them in their life and that's that's more that's what's most important yeah yeah so the um the holy chaos is part of like a bigger tagline right and i don't remember do you remember you should i guess the other two parts of it is something about like radical welcome what are the yeah so it's a haywood street it's a abundant grace welcome or abundant grace holy chaos welcome table in one of those orders if okay. something yeah yeah holy chaos abundant grace welcome table so mm -hmm. oh man all right so welcome table to me mm -hmm. like there's a restaurant like say a little bit about that that's it's yeah. wild <laughs> It's really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. So unlike a lot of churches, sometimes you have to take everything that you would think of church and really just put it aside when you're when you if you don't know anything about Haywood Street because it's not like a, a typical church where you come on Sundays and Wednesday nights or whatever. It's a our our although we do have a worship service on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday afternoons, we the biggest ministry that we have is the downtown welcome table. And that is a twice a week meal that happens at breakfast on Sundays and lunch on Wednesdays. And we, we serve anywhere, well, we serve, I think we're averaging about 700 plates on any Wednesday and Sunday. And that a lot going to the, the abundance too, like one of the the other thing with Haywood Street is that we we don't want to we try not to work out of a mentality of scarcity, but we we understand abundance. And so, if somebody wants more than one plate, they can have three plates. If they want some to go, then we'll get them a plate to go too. So we're when I say we're serving seven hundred plates, we, that might not be seven hundred people. That would it's definitely at least five hundred people on any given yeah on any given day. Wednesday or Sunday. Um, but the meals are awesome. They're really well done. We have a chef on staff who does the preparing and then we have companions and companions are like are we what we call our volunteers. So we have companions who come in on on prep days, Tuesdays and Thursdays to help prep the meal. And then on Wednesdays and Sundays to put it all together and put it on plates and serve it. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's not like a typical, like you might picture a, a soup kitchen. You come through the line, say, okay. I want this or I want that. Like somebody's there like at the host stand and says, yeah, there's a seat over there for you. And then somebody comes around and takes your order and your drink order and you have choices and you're just, it's like a proper restaurant. It's amazing. And I had yeah. uh, mushroom tacos that were delicious. And uh, anyway, I, I just, and at the same time, it is chaotic. <laughs> and holy and all of that so anyway i just thought that was really cool yeah i mean with that i i should should have said something about that too like that's huge part of why the welcome table is formatted the way it is because we want people everybody should have the opportunity to have a you know a five-star meal with you know silverware and glass plates and with dessert and an appetizer and all of that and we that's how it's that's what we want to 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 bring to people who might not otherwise be able to to experience that and one of the other things that we the chefs at the downtown welcome table i don't know if i've if i even told you about this josiah like that's one of the partnerships that we have with a lot of the restaurants down in nashville um so like curate and chaipani and um corner kitchen like all these like awesome top of the line restaurants are like supportive and come in and like make a meal for our for our community on Wednesdays or something and we just had Katie Button and her her staff yeah she's a James Beard award winner and she's in our kitchen like making this incredible meal for for everybody and yeah so it's everybody has everybody deserves to experience that because everybody's worth everybody's worth that yeah yeah and like you know me and your dad show up that day and we're not treated any different than anybody else mm -hmm. and it's just it, it's just such a neat kingdom mm -hmm. place where you know people that society might say are more powerful and people that society says are less valuable are all on the same even you know mm -hmm. footing and anyway that's just that's a really it's a really cool space like the the whole thing and so in addition to all that there's like what a barber shop there's mobile clinic there's talk a little bit about some of that other some of those other things maybe the respite oh um, yeah some of those yeah things. yeah there's all of that one other one i just want to mention too that i is very important and is part of our identity too is that because we do one of the reasons why we don't say volunteer is because of all the connotations that come along with volunteer being like the have serving the have nots and we want to turn that upside down completely we want to just take like take that take that wall right down and and show that we are all in a place will like that need to receive and and we all have gifts to give as well so at the welcome table at the very beginning the server could be could be housed the server could be unhoused the server could have a uh, struggle with mental illness it could the she could be a banker she could be a lawyer he could be a doctor whatever and it doesn't it doesn't matter because everybody is welcome to participate however they want to participate and being a companion doesn't necessarily mean 
that you have a role in like the dish room or serving a table or making the meal, like being a companion is also sitting at the table and sitting eye to eye and sharing a conversation with, um, with the person across from you, because being a companion is, is literally means like being with breaking bread, um, and eat being with, and that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We don't want, we don't want those, that, that dichotomy of the haves and the have nots, but, and then answering your other question, the other ministries that we have on campus that we have the salon and we have in, in the salon, we have hairstylists who, who commit to coming on Wednesdays from, I think like 10 to 12 to just to <laughs> offer a really simple service of just caring for somebody. It's a ministry of, of being with, it's a ministry that of self-care people who aren't used to have like being touched, having their hair washed and just feeling like beautiful is huge. And, um, that's something that's a need and a, a desire that we're, we're really trying to, to fill for, for people. We have acupuncturists that come on Wednesdays. We have the, uh, Western, the Winches mobile clinic, the Western North Carolina community health something. I don't know. It's <laughs> something I'm very close. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they, they come every, like maybe once or twice a month and offer medical services free or, uh, low discounted. And we have community paramedics in our community rooms, which we have a really strong relationship with the community paramedics in Asheville. It's a newer, it's a newer like program that is really showing a lot of promise. It's rather than having, there's a lot of overdoses in, in Asheville. There's a drug, the drug issues, just like it's getting pretty out of hand. Um, and the community paramedics there on one of their programs is just the overdose response team. So there's a team that just respond to that and bring people in for suboxone treatments too. So there's that, they do that out of the community room. And, um, then there's the, like the wound care team too. So we're able to just have a space for the community paramedics to, to be with, with people who are in need in that way. Respite. Respite. Yeah. It's a, the other main ministry. Too. Uh, yeah. Respite is, oh, respite's one of my favorite places. I think it's connected to the church. It is a place for folks who are discharged from the hospital to who are folks who are unhoused when they're discharged from the hospital to rest and recover after a medical treatment or procedure. And just recently they're check, they're trying out like for people who are coming out of like detox or something, they're taking, I think they're trying to expand taking in folks who are trying to, to, to remain sober too. But it, that is, I think what makes that ministry so special is that it is, it's such, it's like a family when you go over there and there's a kitchen, which helps. There's like the kitchen and the round like dining room table. <clears throat> so when I go over there, there's always people just sitting around the table talking and they have devotions together. They, they, they live together and they're just, they're, yeah, they're just 
the, the closeness that, that just starts to happen when people live with each other and work with each other. It's just in, really, there's a transformation that takes place in that kind of relationship. Um, and that's, that's what is so special about, about respite because it's low barrier. So we're going to take in, we're going to take in the, the people that others don't will refuse to take in and the staff are are so patient and open and yeah compassionate they're just yeah the staff over in respite are incredible yeah i find that part really that's something i never even considered before mm-hmm. being on site is like yeah. you know our, our healthcare system so jacked up mm-hmm. and you don't have insurance which these people generally wouldn't Mm-hmm. You're not gonna be allowed to stay until you're ready because you're not paying. And so they discharge you. And then if you don't have a place to go, then what? Like I've just had a procedure, like how do I heal properly? Mm-hmm. And it's just the fact that it's called the respite, I think is really beautiful because it's really what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That that space to to really just take a break and get right again. And to do that alongside others, it's just, yeah. it's really yeah. beautiful. It's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, in, in some, like some people do have insurance, like they'll have Medicaid or something, but when you're talking, like we had, we've had people who unhoused, who've had open heart surgery and that's not just something that you recover from, right. you know, a week or two. I mean, even after you're discharged from the hospital, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to have a home to go to. It's months and months of of recovery and rest after that. But if you're talking about somebody who doesn't have a home to go to, they're going to the street and they're going to be sleeping in a tent or on a bench or something. But so respite is the place where they can go and and have a bed to stay in, have three meals a day, and be be cared for. Mm-hmm. It's so necessary. It's so necessary to be able to to have a home to a bed to go to when you're recovering from something like that. Yeah. And then one other thing that this isn't a program or anything, but you have a, a really beautiful like landscaped kind of courtyard area behind the yeah. building for people to just kind of, you know, enjoy a bit of like nice trees mm-hmm. and plants like in the middle of the city. And that's, you know, that's a bit of like, getting away from, you know, the, the normal day kind of stuff too, that I, it wouldn't be in any brochure anywhere, but I just, I I really appreciated that space too. And like, you know, there are people like walking around it and just, you can tell having some quiet moments that were so needed and that kind of, yeah, 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 we have the gardens, one of my favorite places back um, on campus too, the, the, we grow vegetables and people are welcome to go pick tomatoes or potatoes, whatever in the summer. And we're just, we just finished planting some winter crop sunflowers bloom in the summertime. It's just, it's just a place of, of beauty uh, in the middle of all the chaos. Right. (laughs) Um, and it is a, yeah, it's a place. It's a really special place. And in the back, I don't know if I told you this part where the, that rock wall is, that's, we call that the, like the wailing wall too. So the purpose of that originally was for people to be able to write prayers and put them in the wall, but that's right at 
where the memorial garden is. So there were rose bushes, but we recently took those out and we're just going to put like a bench in front of it. It's it's called the memorial garden because I've had a lot of friends who've passed away who have been unhoused and they, if they don't have family or anybody to, to, to claim them or to, to, yeah, recognize them, then hospital will reach out to Haywood Street and uh, we'll be able to get their ashes and place them there. So it's a another sacred place on campus where we're yeah able to just dignify people. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. And then you were talking about the companion piece um, a little bit earlier. Something mm-hmm. I noticed as I was just kind of looking around and, and stuff is like just how many people have moved from being a companion or being somebody that like came to like service one time or was a server at some point and have become like a part of the actual staff, um, mm-hmm. of the church and of the, the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that model is beautiful too, because it's, it's not just, you know, folks like you that have come from, you know, a pretty decent spot financially that are like giving back or whatever, it's everybody that's become a part of this family can mm-hmm. be dignified with like a leadership position as well. And yeah. um, just getting rid of all of that yeah. sort of hierarchy. And I, I don't know, I just, I found that really cool too. Yeah. Staff are, what is really special about the staff at Haywood Street is that it's a mix of both. Um, we've had a lot of, there are a couple of people on staff who found out about Haywood Street by being a, a, a guest at the respite <laughs> who right. used the services at the the respite and felt a felt a profound um sense of belonging and and yeah love and didn't never left and we're better for it and now we have them uh we have uh we have people who are like like Wayne on our on Mercy League. So Mercy League is a huge part of what we are um, that I have not talked about yet. Uh, it, when a lot of people and some churches who are in urban ministry might think of having security or like a police presence, Haywood Street's re- uh, responses to have Mercy League. So rather than having enforcing rules or whatever we have mercy league who are present um, whenever the building is open who move toward people and build relationship with them at any at any time so that when there's a conflict that comes up there's already a relationship in place for that for them to be able to help de-escalate the, the whatever conflict or disagreement there is so Wayne is one of the, Wayne and James are two of the, the folks in our Mercy League. And Wayne's story is incredible. Um, in, and I don't think he would mind me sharing any of this. Like he, having been a, he had, he's in, in recovery for a number of years now. Um, but he is sober and he is so good at moving toward people when they're struggling and when they are hard to talk to he's he does it with such grace and compassion and like understanding that i mean even the years that i've i learned i tried to 
learn conflict resolution and mediation and just de-escalation tactics. I could never be able to, to, to do it the way Wayne does it. And he would, he says that he is able to, because he has been in their position and, and knows what they're going through in a deeper way and is able to, to empathize with it. So there's such a, it's so important that, that people like Wayne are, are represented on, on our staff. And it's, it's invaluable to have, to have Wayne and James and Dave on, on staff. That's, that's so awesome. Yeah. That wish that police in my city could adopt a similar, <laughs> yeah. similar philosophy there. So I did share with you prior to starting our conversation that the, this season of Dunker Punks, the part of the theme has been this idea of catharsis. And I think people can connect what we've been talking about to that idea, but just in the event that they have not yet, is there anything that you would say around how Haywood Street creates some of that catharsis for the the friends that call Haywood Street home? Yeah, 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 it's... Hopefully if people have connected it, it's woven in through all of this conversation. I think I, I was meeting with somebody yesterday, um, who was at respite and she had been, she's been unhoused for a number of years and was a, a drug addict and has now, she's been clean for seven and a half months she was in respite for about three and a half months um, and came to the, the spot where she actually was one of the one of the um, guests who had had to have heart surgery. And she mm. was telling me, she's like, I before I went in to heart surgery, like I I, I had a um, conversation with my with my maker, and I said I I wanted to wake up and have and be happy and be have joy, and I didn't want to I didn't want to do drugs anymore. And she's like, and I woke up. And she's like, and I was happy and I had joy. She's like, I was in, I was a new person. And she's, and she went on to say, she's like, if I didn't have, if I hadn't, hadn't experienced the love that I experienced at Haywood street, I never would have been able to get to that place. She's like, I, I didn't have, I didn't love myself. And it wasn't until I felt I felt that I was loved in my lowest spots through through staff at at Haywood Street that I was able to 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 see that I was worth loving, and that's. I mean, I remember I remember this woman when you know last year when she would sleep outside my office and she'd be she'd be groggy or she'd be angry. She could be hard to talk to or she wouldn't talk to you at all. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, I don't have many memories of, of her then without like not being, not being high or, or having been high or anything. And to, when I just sitting with her yesterday at her new home, mm. totally like the transformation. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like not one I've never seen before. And, and um it's, yeah, it's it's really incredible. Like she's she's a she's a different person, and she 
she does love herself. And I can see that. I can see it on her face. I can see it the way she talks. And because she loves herself, she's able to love other people too. So she's able to be that, to offer that catharsis to other people because she's experienced it. And it, yeah, it's really incredible. I don't don't really have the words to really describe all of that. Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, she's special, special person. That's awesome. So for folks who are hearing about this awesome place and might not be able to come and see it for themselves, like how can they stay up on what's going on at Haywood Street and uh, support the work that's going on mm -hmm. there and just be a part of this holy chaotic uh, community? Yeah. There's a bunch of ways. First, I would say, if you really want to get to know it a little bit more, there's a, a documentary on the fresco, which is that, that mural that I was telling you about that you see when you come in, has all faces of people that are part of the community. Um, so there was a documentary made called Theirs is the Kingdom, and that can be found on Amazon Prime, on YouTube. Um, and what else? There's another one too. We'll we'll put a link to one of them in the show notes so people can Perfect. just click on it. Um, yeah. So there's that documentary. Can always um, sign up for our newsletter and get our we uh, all of our updates and the sermons go out on that. Uh, the like faces and stories that the stories that I'm able to to help folks share go out in the newsletter and our website we have our social media facebook instagram youtube has a lot of videos of of some of our friends who are really musically talented and what else yeah those are the main ways i think um melanie during your sharing about your own journey you did mention something that was very formative to you uh, was your time in palestine and just given the moment that we find ourselves in i thought it might be a a fitting way to sort of end by just asking you um, to speak to some of what is happening now and yeah, how, what, what your sort of thoughts are on, on any of that and how it relates to what we've been talking about as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's big. Definitely has been weighing heavily on me and I've been checking in with my friends in the West Bank as much as I, as much as I can. And I, it's always weird, well, uncomfortable to, to be like, how are you? And you know, like, not good, right? But um, just being able to connect with them and let them know, like, I'm thinking about you, you're not, you're not forgotten is, feels just really important right now. The, there's a lot of death, which I think people are aware of. I don't know how much, um, I hope people are following it and are up to date on on everything that's happening but for those who are not you know that october 7th um attack on israel by hamas um and how that led to this the war with gaza and the like catastrophic events that have been taking place since then 10,000 10,000 civilians killed, including probably, I, I think like the numbers up to like 3,500 children and then uh, like 2,000 more children missing under rubble. Uh, that it's, 
it it's devastating. It's really devastating. I just got a question from somebody that I through Haywood Street. She, who knows how like dear you know Palestine and Israel is to me. She's like I don't I hear about all the death and all the the tragedies, and I don't know. I don't know what to do and I don't know what to make of it and I don't know how to how to pray um what like help me help me understand what I need to be praying for and it took me a minute because I was like what am I how am I praying because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think I'm just I don't I, I it doesn't feel like enough to just pray for there to be an an end to it it doesn't feel like like that's not that that can't happen but I mean, there's, it's hard. That's, it's hard to, to do that. So I, I think my, the way that I'm praying right now is just by offering up the grief that I do have mm-hmm. and just um, using that, using grief and mourning as, as a prayer. Um, because I do know that, that grief, even though it's really uncomfortable and it sucks to feel, <laughs> yeah. I know that it's that there's hope in that because because we experience grief when we know when we feel uh, separation and a detachment from somebody or something that we are that we love that we're formed by that we're connected with and yeah that just help us identify with who we are so when when something like that is cut off we're going to grieve that loss because there's like a piece of us that's also, you know, gone as well. But our, as a Christian, my hope is knowing that that grief is there because that's not how it's supposed to be. Like, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be pulled apart from one another like this. We're not supposed to suffer the way we're suffering presently in this world. It doesn't, that's not a hope that you know, that I learned growing up in the church where it's like, oh, hope, like it's really fluffy and it feels good and everything. And I don't, I don't know, maybe it's just getting older and a little bit of pessimism, but I don't think hope always feels good. I think one of the things with hope is that it, it one of the, why it's hard to hold on to sometimes because is because it doesn't feel good. A lot of the times it's just, it's there because we know that we're, in my in my opinion, my view and my theology, whatever, it's there because it's all that I have to lean on right now, and I it's a promise that I I have placed my faith in, I guess. But that that's where I've where I'm at. I think spiritually and emotionally with everything that's happening in the Middle East right now, and my hope also is that people will take this as an opportunity to learn more and rather like put the politics and the theology of the land aside and just like where where's jesus in this right now if you are if you are a person of faith where is jesus in this moment in this in this um catastrophe (laughs) Yeah. And and maybe try to stand alongside Jesus in that. Yeah. I guess. And that I mean that connects to me like perfectly with 
like the folks that we've been talking about that have come in the doors of Haywood Street who are experiencing that same hopelessness, like finding hope in that immense grief, in that time of lament, and just asking that question, like, where is Christ in this? You know, where is Jesus in this? And let's be with Jesus where Jesus is, you know? And I, I mean, I can't say enough how that was my experience being there was like, this is where Jesus is. It just, it is. And I want to go to there, you know, it's just really, and not just because my good friend is working there. Like it's, (laughs) it's really just beautiful space. So thank you, um, Melanie, so much for hanging out and sharing a little bit about the holy chaos that's happening at Haywood Street and and sharing your heart about what's going on in the world as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always a pleasure to hang with you and can't wait till we can do that again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, come back and visit. All right. No doubt. No doubt. All right. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. you Josiah and Melanie for sharing the incredible story of Hayward Street. As someone who works in community ministry and loves the participation of community in in our church spaces, my heart was very full hearing the experiences um, in Hayward Street. One thing that really stuck out to me was when Melanie was talking about this sacredness of Hayward Street. And I know it can be hard to describe sometimes, but it's one of those things where once you've felt what she's talking about, like you you get it. So I remember being in a space similar and feeling exactly what I think she's describing and just feeling so full and light at the same time being just so abundantly blessed in the midst of of this sacred space especially when she includes the the impact of just putting humanity back into the space and seeing people who are unhoused having a space not only a space but a voice and not only a voice but one that is necessary in that space being welcomed and loved and valued in the ways that we're called to I think is incredibly impactful and moving I think it also leads into something else I found really cool, which was Melanie's title of lead storyteller. In my line of work as an executive director at a nonprofit, my mind went straight to development and telling our story to others. But hers was really more of building and gaining stories from the community and getting those voices from around those who've been impacted and raising their voices. And I think that is incredibly powerful to that humanity and that sacredness that she's speaking into at Hayward Street. I can go on and on and on because like I said My heart is with community ministry, and I have loved and gained so much from everything that they've had to share. 
One part really stuck out, and is something that Pastor Josiah has brought back to First Church, is this idea of not just being welcome, but their voices and their presence being necessary. They, everyone's place is necessary. Their gifts, their voice, their talent are all necessary to building the kingdom of God here. And that is something I don't think that we share enough with in, in our congregations, in our relationships, in our friend groups, that this isn't, we're not just welcoming you, but you're needed and you're necessary. Harrisburg First Church of the Brethren was brought up as a comparison that's a space kind of similar um, that had a major impact on Melanie's journey to where she is now and it is currently my home church and I can see so many of the parallels but really that just devotion to the community being invested in the life of the church here. And this idea of holy chaos even drives it further, because if there was a term that could describe First Church, holy chaos would be one of them. And this idea of the the chaotic, but that sacredness and that humanity and humility built into it, I feel like is so missed, but so true to like the life of Christ. And as Dunker Punks, we talk about like rat, um, radical care and love and really digging into like the social justice aspects of and everything that's built into the life of Christ that we often forget. And holy chaos to me, visually, just let letting the Holy Spirit move in spaces can look like holy chaos. And I feel like that is the life and breadth of a congregation that is doing exactly what it needs to do. So in the in the midst of talking about catharsis and releasing the emotions, I think about this term holy chaos and what what it can look like when our lives are scattered and feel thrown all over the place and chaotic, but it really just leaves room for the spirit to move in us. It leaves air pockets for discernment and to be lifted and blessed in ways that we don't often acknowledge or see or notice. And it brings us back to the reality of what we're doing here, just to love one another and to love God together. And that's powerful. For me, this episode was cathartic. It gave hope in the world that I'm still trying to wrap my head around and find space to be moved in, that this holy chaos can provide spaces for voices to be lifted and heard and noticed and to be seen as necessary. I urge you to think about what holy chaos looks like for you, whether that's painting a picture, finding visuals somewhere else, writing it down, but thinking about what holy chaos looks like for you 
And what stories you find in the midst of it? Where is the Holy Spirit leading you in the midst of it? Until next time, Dunker Punks, thank you for tuning in. And I hope you have an incredible holiday season if it's gotten to you before. If not, I hope you had a great holiday season and are entering into a new year and building on some of these concepts of catharsis as well. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Dunker Punks podcast. The Dunker Punks podcast is a space where holy chaos can create sacredness. This episode was hosted by myself, Alyssa Parker, using she, her pronouns. Audio was contributed by Pastor Josiah Ludwig and Melanie Risk. Tyler North and Ryan Domer edited this episode, and Jacob Krauss creates their music, and Ryan Domer manages production and communications. Wichita First Church of the Brethren, Long Green Valley Church of the Brethren, Living Stream Church of the Brethren, Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, Arlington Church of the Brethren, and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. Would you like to hear your congregation among these other sponsors of the Dunker Punks podcast? Encourage your congregation to become a sponsor. Only $200 to support voices of young leaders sharing incredible work. Be a part of a movement that highlights young voices of faith, empowers leaders, and calls action to our faith through podcasts. Together, we can literally value what young people of faith have to say. Email us at dpp at arlingtoncob.org for more information. There are so many ways that we we can connect to the stories at Hayward Street in Asheville, North Carolina. Share a story or a scripture that comes to mind with us on social media or by sending us an email. You can even use your thoughts to create show art. We'd be so happy to share it on our social media channels. Get involved with Dunker Punks by applying to be an audio contributor to create your own episode, suggest an episode idea, or donate to support our content creators and management. You should also sign up for our periodic newsletter. You can do so on the right side bar of our homepage at www.arlingtoncob.org dpp or sending us an email. Be on the lookout for when we start our next seasons. Thanks for tuning in, Dunker Punks.